Today we are going to wrap up our three-week series that I started at the beginning of the year, Three Commitments for 2022. Uh, the first week of the series, I appealed that we would each commit to God's mission for our lives. I acknowledge that God has unique callings and unique vocations for each of us, but no matter what our unique callings are, no matter what our unique vocations are, uh, all believers share in common one primary calling, one central mission to which we're all to give our lives, and that's the Great Commission, telling people about Jesus and then assisting people to grow in obedience uh, to Jesus. So uh, that is, no matter what else we do in life, that is supposed to be our central mission if we are uh, believers. And the, the unfortunate reality is that too many Christians simply are not fully committed to that mission. And so my appeal to all of us is that we would make 2022 a year where we fully commit uh, to that mission that God has called us to. The second week of the series, I appealed for us to emulate Christ's attitude toward the lost and condemned world. We are to love the world. We're not to condemn the world because the world's already condemned. Like, like that job just isn't needed because it's already done. The world is already condemned. What we are supposed to do is emulate Christ's attitude toward the world. We are to weep over the world that doesn't know Jesus, not rage against the world uh, that doesn't know Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't speak out uh, about sin. That doesn't mean that we don't stand for truth. We do that, but we just do it with love, and we do it through tears uh, over people who have been blinded to the truth, not not by raging at people who have been blinded uh, to the truth. We're, we're called to be like God, who the Bible tells us is eager to turn back from destroying people. And so we're supposed to be people who are eager for God to turn back from destroying people. We're, we're not to be people who plead with God to withhold an opportunity for repentance and instead just destroy everyone like what we saw that Jonah did. You know, Jonah was angry with God because he, he relented from sending calamity on the city of Nineveh. We're not to be like that. We're to plead with God to be merciful, which is the very heart of God himself, like we saw in the life of Abraham. You know, I've spent a good deal of time debating folks over the years who thought that the posture of too many Christians toward the world was too antagonistic too filled with anger. And I debated them because I wasn't seeing that myself. And so I was assuming that my experience represented the whole. But I have to be honest with you that in more recent times, my eyes have been opened to things that I evidently had been overlooking before. And now I have come to believe that an angry, antagonistic posture toward the world toward people that Jesus loves is actually a pretty huge problem for a lot of Christians. And to the extent that it's a problem for any of us here today, and I'm not saying it is for you, that's for you to evaluate, but to the extent that it is, we have to do better. While never allowing an appeal for kindness and love to be manipulated into compromise or silence on matters of right and wrong, we can't do that, but we do have to be better. 
We, we can't be angry and antagonistic toward people uh, that Jesus loves. What we believe, just that, is going to get us accused of being unkind and unloving. But we cannot ever allow the way that we act toward people to legitimize the charges of being unkind and unloving. And I have um, sort of come late to this, but I have sadly come to the conclusion that too many Christians are guilty of doing just that. Sometimes I think it's unintentionally. Sometimes I think it's ignorantly, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, just, just like they're just not thinking through it, so they're just doing it ignorantly. But of course, those are not excuses for poor behavior. Poor behavior done unintentionally or ignorantly is not like, okay, we, we, have, to, we have to wise up. We have to see things the right way and, and, and respond accordingly. So those are the things we covered in the first couple of weeks. And now today, in this third and final week of the series, I'm uh, making an appeal to us for a third commitment. I'm asking us to commit to live according to Micah 6 and 8. And before we get to that text, I, I just have a few things that I want to ask us, um, and just for us to be honest about. If we have seen these things among Christians, or if we might have seen some of these things in ourselves, okay? Have you ever known, and no, no hands, we don't want any hands, just personal reflection, <laughs> personal reflection today. Have you ever known a Christian who had no qualms about cheating on their taxes, They'd happily tell you about it. They might even wear it as a badge of honor. They might almost view it as like a commendation of their intelligence and their wisdom and their, their financial um, capabilities. Again, just answer in your own mind. Now, here's a question. Has that ever described you? Or does it describe you now? Another question, have you ever known a Christian that didn't seem to have any reservations about engaging in unfair business practices? Maybe billing a client for more hours than they actually worked, maybe saying they included something in a project that they didn't actually include, maybe assuring a vendor that a check was in the mail when a check really wasn't in the mail. We've probably all known believers who have done these things. Sometimes some of us may have done these things. Some of us, maybe, are doing some of these kind of things now. A few more questions. Have you ever known a Christian who would never let other people move past their mistakes? Ever known a Christian who continually held a past wrong over someone's head, concluding that the wrong the person had done forever sealed them as that kind of person? Have you ever seen that? Ever known a Christian who seemed really quick to want to drag other believers' dirty laundry in front of you and others? Ever known a Christian who was really hard on others when they were caught in a sin? No mercy, no grace. You know, they were like uh, Javert 
I think is the name, chasing Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. <laughs> I said that to be funny. I know that's not it. Michelle, I said that to be funny. I know that's not how it's said. All right. Have, <laughs> have any of us been guilty of doing any of those kinds of things? You know, I have found that Christians can be really skillful at cloaking our lack of mercy and grace toward others in really pious-sounding language, calling it a heightened concern for righteousness, boldly stating things like, you can't tolerate sin in the camp. And yet I've found that often the people who wear that cloak of piety, cloak of righteousness, do so while they're engaging in things like sins of gossip, character assassination, the sin of unforgiveness, sinning in the name of standing against sin, sinning themselves while claiming to stand for truth, justice, and the biblical way. Ever known a Christian like that? Ever been a Christian like that? Just a few more questions before we get to the text today. Ever known a Christian who seemed a little too presumptuous in their relationship with God? You, you might have seen this with things like this. Well, God knows that's just the way I am. I've been that way my whole life. I'm always going to be that way. And they would say that as an excuse for some aspect of their life that they know is not what God wants it to be. Ever heard a Christian say something like this? Me and God have an understanding. Me and God have an understanding. And they say it in regard to something about themselves that is not how a Christian should live. It's displeasing to God. But they have convinced themselves somehow, some way, that God gets it. That they're a special case. They can go ahead and do that. And God gets it. Micah 6.8 is a challenge to all of these questions that I've just asked. All of these examples. It is a challenge to all of these. Micah 6.8 is a rubber meets the road verse that calls us to not just give lip service to God but to actually live our day-in, day-out lives in a way that's pleasing to God. It's a verse that calls us to actually be who we're supposed to be, to actually bring our faith into our everyday lives and allow it to change how we act, allow it to change how we live, allow it to change how we treat flesh and blood people created in God's image. In Micah 6.8, the prophet challenges the people of Israel who had been living in ways that were displeasing to God. He challenges them with these words. I think the scripture will be on the screen behind me. We're not going to read it together today. I'm just going to read it. He challenges them with these words. He, God, has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord 
require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I want you to notice that Micah does not ask, what does the Lord ask of you? He doesn't ask, what does the Lord hope you'll do? He asks and then answers the question, what does the Lord require of you? What's he require? And here are the answers. He requires for those who follow him to act justly. Some translations say to do justice. Some say to do what is fair and just. I think the New Living Translation sums it up pretty, pretty neatly, succinctly, and correctly in just saying to do what is right. What does God want? What does God want? He wants you, he wants me to do what is right. When we're doing our taxes, God wants us to do what is right. When we're billing a client, God wants us to do what is right. By the way, if you read through the Proverbs or you read through the the prophets of the Old Testament, here's what you're going to find out. God cares an awful lot about honest scales. He cares a lot about honest scales. Well, good, because I don't use scales. He cares a lot about fair business practices. He cares a lot about honesty and integrity in doing your taxes. He cares a lot about honest scales. This is one I I don't want to, just so you know, that I give examples that apply to me. This next is an example I don't want to give, but it deserves being mentioned. When a customer service agent makes us really angry, anybody, anybody, and we're tempted to lash out, God requires that we do what is right and treat them with respect that they deserve simply because they're image bearers of God. And even if we have to complain, which sometimes is necessary, it is okay to complain when you're a customer. You have to do it well, honoring the humanity of the other person. We have to do what's right. When we're tempted to gossip about someone who we're really angry with, God requires that we do what is right. And that means don't gossip. In every situation we face in life, God requires that we ask of ourselves in that situation what is right, what is pleasing to God, and then we do that right thing. As we interact with people and even come in conflict with people, God wants us to ask ourselves in each of those situations, what does God want of me? What is right? And then do it. Do the right thing. What does God require? He requires that we do what is right. And then Micah says, he requires that we love mercy. We love mercy. 
Some translations say kindness instead of mercy. That we love kindness. When a brother or sister in Christ has failed, fallen short, and we find out about it, we are to be people that love mercy. We're to be people who act in kindness. It's the book of Galatians that tells us when we catch a brother or sister in a sin that we are to restore them gently. Restore them gently. If you have forever labeled someone according to a past sin, and if in your mind they're always suspect because of some mistake in their past, it is a violation of, of this, this requirement to love mercy, to love kindness. Never allowing someone to move past a past mistake is such an unmerciful thing. It is such an unkind thing, but we rationalize it, we justify it. We say things to ourselves like, well, when I first met them, they did this or that. And right then, I knew what kind of person they were. And no matter how they've fooled everybody else, they're not fooling me. Well, what about the fact that they've apologized? What about the fact that they're older and more mature? What about the fact that the current fruit in their life would suggest that they've changed? What about that? They're not fooling me. I know who they really are. Unmerciful. Unkind. Displeasing to God. You know, watching the social media of a lot of Christians, and I've been guilty of this, so I'm preaching to myself as well, but watching the social media of a lot of Christians has finally awakened me to the reality that a lot of Christians are really not very kind. They trash other Christians that they've never met, don't know anything about except something they saw in the media, and they'll just trash them. Joel Osteen's a favorite target of a lot of them. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> Did I touch on something? Might have. I have not seen anything. These are just examples pulled out of the air. Well, I have seen them. I haven't seen them from this congregation, is what I mean to say. I've seen Christians that make fun of the physical appearance of others. I've seen Christians who have made fun of the appearance of people who struggle with gender confusion. And no matter what you think of that topic, and the Bible is very clear on issues of gender. A Christian cannot make fun of someone's appearance. But I've seen it. And I've seen it over and over and over again. They don't limit themselves to respectful critiques of political opponents. 
but they participate in things like, let's go, Brandon. Friends, all of these kind of things, it fails the love kindness requirement that God places on us. I want to be honest with you. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily love the love kindness requirement myself. It's hard. I see things in the culture I want to rail against. And, and I have. I have. We have to be people who love kindness. Let me, let me go just a little deeper with the last of these examples. I'll be honest with you. I believe that many of our current president's policies should be opposed by Christians. Of course, that can be said of almost any president we ever have. But as you oppose his policies, friends, Christians, brothers, sisters, you're to treat him with respect. Do a person created in God's image. Not to mention the respect that is due the office of the President of the United States. Even if you disagree with everything that he stands for. Amen. Friends, civility matters because civility is loving kindness. Civility matters. Doing unto others as we'd have them do unto us matters. There's a reason it's worded that way. Do what you want them to do to you, not what they actually do to you. It's worded that way on purpose. And doing that matters. It matters. We have to do what's right. Kindness matters. We have to be committed to mercy and kindness. And when we fail at these, which we all do, every one of us fails at these things. But when we fail, we have to repent. And we have to recommit ourselves to kindness, to mercy. We just have to. What does God require? He requires that we do what is right. He requires that we love mercy, love kindness. And then Micah tells us that he requires that we walk humbly with God. And I want to share just some of the ways that we walk humbly with God. Here's how we do it. When God tells us in his word that he requires us to do what is right. And we know that there's an area of our life where we aren't doing what is right. To walk humbly with God means that we do not excuse that area. It means that we don't claim we have an understanding with God where we don't have to do what he said. Walking humbly with God means we admit that we're doing what's wrong. We agree with God. We turn away from that wrong thing. And we begin to do what God requires. That's walking humbly with God. Walking humbly with God means that when God tells us we're to love mercy and love kindness, 
and we realize that we're holding past sins over someone's head who has asked for forgiveness, or we realize that we're engaging in incivility to a political opponent, we don't make excuses, we don't ignore God, we don't effectively say to God, oh, that's cute that you tell me to act with kindness toward people, but obviously that's not possible, God, so come on, let's be realistic here, God. You don't do that. Walking humbly with God means that when God challenges us about something we're doing, we don't keep doing it. We submit, we surrender, we yield to God. And so these are the things that God requires of us. But verses 6 and 7 of Micah 6 tell us how we try to placate God with things other than what he requires. Let's look at those verses now, 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And verse 8 answers all of that, and the answer is no, that is not what God wants, that's not what God requires, what he wants, what he requires is to do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. Here's what is going on here, is that the people of God were really diligent when it came to honoring the Old Testament sacrificial system of worship. They were really meticulous and they were, they were really diligent. They, make sure, they made sure that they did everything just right. But they weren't very diligent. They weren't very conscientious in obeying God in their day-to-day lives. They were really good at performing and fulfilling the religious rituals but they were really bad at living the way God wanted them to live when conducting business and when interacting with people. They performed the right religious rituals, but they had no qualms about using dishonest scales. They performed religious rituals very faithfully, but they did not love mercy, and they continually acted in ways that were unkind toward other people. They were meticulous in their religious rituals, but once they were done with the rituals, they did not allow God to make any difference in how they actually treated people. How many of us think in some way that we're placating God with And these are all good things. I'm I'm not about to list anything that's not a good thing. They're all good things. How many of us think we're placating God with our faithful church attendance, with our faithful service in ministry, with our commitment to financial giving, but once we're done with these religious, whatever you want to call them, with these religious duties, with these religious practices, in a sense, religious rituals, once we're done with these, We do 
whatever we please in our day to day. Gossip, refuse to forgive others when we've been forgiven so much, treat people unfairly, treat people unkindly, make fun of people because of how they look or something they believe, use unkind terminology toward people from other countries, refuse to show respect to people in authority, contribute to the incivility in our culture by how we conduct ourselves on social media, and the list could go on and on and on and on. Please hear this next thing I say. I need this, you need it, we all need it. God is unimpressed with the religious rituals we perform when we do not treat people right, extend mercy to those who need it, and walk humbly with Him, which is in obedience to Him in our day-to-day lives. He is unimpressed. And you see this throughout the New Testament with how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees. His harshest language was for the Pharisees, the most revered religious leaders of the day. And why was he always so upset with them? Because they were really meticulous about rituals and did not yield to him at all in what he called weightier matters. How they would treat real people created in God's image. Now I want to give a little disclaimer here. I, I know that a sermon like this can leave the impression that I assume that nobody is doing what God requires. We're all horrible. We all stink. Nobody's doing anything right. Bunch of losers. <clears throat> and I want to say that I believe this church is full of people who are doing what's right, who do love mercy, and who do walk humbly with God. I really do believe that. That being said, we are all works in progress. We all have room to grow and to do better. And it is true. I, I don't know who you are. Most of the things I've talked about today, you would only know. I don't know. I don't observe hardly anybody's day-to-day life. Only you know this. Maybe your spouse knows. Maybe your kids know. But I don't know. But some of us, in a group this size, it would be true, some of us, if we're honest, we are guilty of trying to placate God with our religious rituals and yet treat people however we feel to treat them. Not worrying at all about whether we're honest on our taxes or honest in our business dealings. And so we all have room to grow, but some of us, if we're honest, we're not walking humbly with God because we do the rituals, but we're ignoring these other things, these weightier things that God requires. And so we all need to embrace the message of Micah 6, 6 through 8 today and commit to live according to it, whether we have a little bit of room for growth or whether we have a whole lot of growing to do, we all need to be committed to this. You see, God doesn't want his people to be different only by the religious rituals that we perform. He wants us to be different from the rest of the world 
by how we treat people created in his image. And so that's why fair business dealings matter, and that's why being kind to those who fail matters, and that's why extending forgiveness to those who wrong us matters. That is why civility matters. And so I'm asking all of us today to, to commit to live according to Micah 6.8 and to give God what he really uh, wants of us, what he really requires of us. Not just the rituals we perform, but the lives that we live throughout the week, the way we treat people. Now, I want to make it clear. God was not opposed to the religious practices of his people. He instituted the religious practices of his people. What he was troubled by is that all he got from his people was the religious rituals or the acts of worship, the things that were seen within the assembled body of God's people, but he didn't get what he required in the day in, day out, rubber meets the road areas of obedience. The rituals that we engage in, the, the daily or weekly practices of worship and church attendance and serving and giving and personal devotions and all of that, those are good things. Those are God-ordained things. It's just that they're not enough in and of themselves. We cannot do those things and then say, okay, we've done what God requires and now we can go and live the rest of our week, the rest of our lives any old way that we want. We can't do that. God wants us to worship and serve and give. He wants us to engage in rituals that flow out of heart surrendered to God. Doing that is a good thing. But what displeases God is when the rituals we performed are done absent a heart that is truly surrendered to him. And we know Sorry, I'm going to have to cough. And we know we're surrendered to him. Here's how we know. When we not only observe the rituals, but then in our day-to-day -day lives, we do what's right, we love mercy, we love kindness, we walk humbly with God. Our brothers and sisters in Christ need us to be those kinds of Christians. The world needs us to be <coughs> those kinds of Christians. And so I'm appealing to us to live according to Micah 6.8. These are the three commitments that I'm asking of myself this year and that I'm asking of everyone that calls Living Hope Church your home. Commit to God's mission for your life. Commit to emulate Christ's attitude toward the world and commit to live according to Micah 6.8. Do what's right, love mercy, walk humbly. Let's stand.